This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. my feline friends. This is Michelle Fern, host of Catitude. All right. Today, sit back, relax. I have something that will have you and your fur baby purring. This is such a wonderful book. I We're going to talk to the author and I cannot wait to share this with you. We'll be right back after this message. I love cleaning the litter box, said no one ever. Luckily, there's World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that promises less mess with less litter. Only World's Best Cat Litter uses the concentrated power of corn to quickly trap odors in tight clumps. And quick clumping means you never have to chisel or scrape the box. Less cleanup with less wasted litter? That's a litter bit amazing. Save $2 on World's Best Cat Litter. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'd like to introduce Tom McNamee. He is the author of The Inner Life of Cats, The Science and Secrets of Our Mysterious Feline Companions. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Michelle. Glad to be here. First, I really liked your book because for everybody listening, the book is about your cat, Augusta, and but not just about your cat because you dive into the why cats do what they do in different chapters. And it's a great way to add all of those little reasons or wonderings that what as cat owners that we wonder about oh and even other things like you know trap and rescue and still make it a story about your cat i'm sure you have a better way to describe it how would you describe your book well augusta walked down our driveway in the dark she was abandoned when we lived in montana it was the middle of december and it was a blizzard and uh she would have died except for the fact that there was a tire rut from our ranch manager having driven down in the middle of this blizzard and I managed to find her in the barn the next morning and my wife and I really didn't know much about bringing up a cat and so in fact we made a lot of mistakes with Augusta and and messed up her life in several ways but she was still a good kitty we were lucky and uh, I wrote the book in part out of a sense of guilt I later learned a lot of the things that we should have known and I thought well there are an awful lot of other people who don't know the things that we should have known and I also discovered that there was an immense amount of scientific information developed in recent times that still existed only in the scientific literature it wasn't known to the public there were no other a million cats of course we all know that but there are essentially none that have the information that I found uh, hundreds and hundreds of scientific papers that reveal the inner life of cats and I thought, well, and a lot of it's pretty technical. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to find a way to make it digestible, readable, understandable. And I thought, well, let's just follow through Augusta's life and adventures. So she had a pretty adventurous life. And see if I can find a way to have her adventures illustrate some of the most important of these scientific findings. And so that was the way I worked it. Augusta's life story was the architectural framework uh, which I built the book on. 
Very well said. And I think you speak to a lot of us that end up adopting a cat. My first cat was, it was Dennis and he adopted me. I literally opened the door one day and he just came in. And mm-hmm. that was, I think, about eight years ago. <laughs> and having grew up with dogs, I didn't know much about cats. And um, I, re- I mean, I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning because I didn't know. And so it's, I think your book's interesting because you talk about some of the things like their, you know, their hunting instinct. You know, if you had to kind of do a synopsis and hit on the highlights of your book, what would you think uh, would be the most important for someone who hasn't had, you know, a cat before or is is a pet parent to a cat, but is still kind of new, not so familiar with cats? What would you tell them? I think the most important thing is to pay attention to the cat. Just watch and try to understand. And then once you have learned a few basic things about the species, you'll begin to understand a lot of things about cats. I mean, the domestic cat is uh, descended from the North African wildcat. And not they had not very long ago, only probably as few as 7,000 or 8,000 years ago, their ancestors were roaming the deserts of North Africa. And in fact, they'll interbreed with them even now. And so a lot of our cat's behavior is absolutely derived from the uh, habits and, and characteristics of the North African wildcat. And so things that we think cats are just sort of weird for doing, like, you know, rubbing their cheeks against your knee or being obsessed with their sandbox, litter box, uh, those are things that wild cats do. The rubbing of the cheek is simply the depositing of a pheromone that communicates an immense amount of information to other cats. You can't smell it, but another cat knows a lot from that deposit. And it's a very friendly gesture, of course. It's it's a way of, of to, to not I love you, but, uh, for example. And I said, the one thing I come back to over and over again, it seems a bit silly, but it's not to a cat, is a litter box. I mean, North African wildcats are territorial, and they mark the heart of their territory with their where they urinate and defecate. And it's the center of the universe for them. And... In fact, the litter box is the center of the universe for your cat. And there are a lot of things that you need to know about litter boxes, like keeping them clean and not using scented litter and not using one of those stupid covers and not putting a plastic liner in it that drives cats crazy. I mean, it's it's a lot of very simple stuff that you can learn from my book and my dad. But there are just a few basic things that you can try to understand about cats. And once you've got those, your cat is going to understand you And you're going to have the basis for a rich and highly varied uh, range of communication. People think, well, cats are opaque. They're aloof. We can't ever understand them. They're not like dogs. Dogs tell you everything. Dogs do tell you everything. And if they're easy to understand, dogs, cats are not quite so easy. But they will tell you everything once you learn how to listen and how to watch. Well, in listening to you talk... (laughs) I, in my home, I do use those stupid covers because, hey, I have some dogs too, and dogs like to Well, I know. I, I shouldn't say and then, covers. Of course, <laughs> they work very well in certain cases. And, well, I do know that, you know, you have to be careful. I did know someone who had, this cat was huge, I think 20-something pounds and tall. No, no cover would work. So yeah. it was uncovered. But well, I mean, the thing is, what I mean to say is a, a lot of people use them as an excuse for never cleaning the box because they can't see it. I mean, cats are perfectly happy to have the covers. 
Oh, I feel better. <laughs> no, I think ours are. I have my mate clean it. He cleans them. I think every other day. So, so oh, well, and you got him trained. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and there's three and one outside because we're down south. So there's a, a patio cupboard that, you know, they like to hang out and everything. Yeah. But another thing I found interesting and I learned from your book and I thought that's why I have three on my crew. There's Dennis. He's part Maine Coon. There's Charlotte and Molly are sisters from different litters and they mm-hmm. have different fathers, but the same mother because of their markings. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte wasn't held as a kitten, so she's more aloof and she doesn't let you pick her up, whatever, and as much. Molly will let you when she feels like it. But I did learn that, you know, for dogs, you want to pet them on their, you know, back. They love it, their bellies and all this stuff. But for cats, it's the face, you know, the face, the chin, the ears. Not the flanks, not the side. And you mentioned something like that in your book, that not to approach yeah. them from the side. Why is that? Well, it, some cats, anyway, it, it just freaks them out. They feel as if they're being approached in an unfriendly way. They want to see what's happening. But the reason they love being having their fat, their, their faces scratched and so forth is there are a lot of glands there that um, emit those um, different pheromones along the jaw and just in front of the ears and just behind the ears and uh, along the nose and so forth. And when you're doing that, you're telling them that you are like another cat. You know, you're, you're picking up on all this good news that your cat has for you about how happy he is and how, what, what a great arrangement we've got here. Another thing I've learned is that when my cat's tail is straight up, they're really happy. And they yeah. kind of communicate with their tail and with their eyes. They do. A long, slow blink is always a really good sign. That's another I really like you thing. And, of course, it means I'm taking a chance by closing my eyes. And, of course, the tail has lots of different things to say. As you say, the, the vertical tail is often with a slight hook. means, oh, boy, here we come. Because typically in greeting. And then the slashing tail. And sometimes, for example, if you have a cat in your lap and you're petting the cat, and you have to watch the tail because sometimes the cats get overstimulated when they're being petted and the tail will start to slash back and forth, whip, whip, whip. And that's a bad sign. Time to let the cat down because the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to be bitten or scratched. And then there are all sorts of other, you know, the tail blows up when the cat is afraid. Uh, tail curls underneath when the cat is really afraid. Um, and there are various other signals that the tail will tell you. And, of course, a paw that's swiping at you says, leave me the heck alone right now, I guess. Yeah. 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 And, again, that's, again, it's a matter of paying attention because if you don't, then something untoward may happen quickly because they think fast. Yes. We're going to be right back after this message, and we'll be talking to Tom more about the inner life of cats. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Super Mega Fish Oil. Get the third bottle free. Packed with omega-3, DHA, and EPA fatty acids. Super Mega is great for your dog's immune system, healthy skin, and soft, shiny fur. Dogs love it. Try Super Omega Fish Oil. Buy two. Get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. I also liked how you talked about different specialists in the industry. And um, I think we have one favorite in common, Jackson Galaxy. Yeah. I happen to just interview him at Global Pet Expo, and I'm hoping to get him on the show. He knows <laughs> so much about cats. He does. He does. He's a weirdo, but he knows a lot. He's, you know, he's funky, but the first time, this is the second time, and the first time I was a little intimidated, and they had, you know, uh, they were taping it for the TV, for the trade show, and it was just all this hoopla. The second time, it was more intimate, and um, it's it was both times it was sponsored by at the Pet Maid booth, and this time, we're just chatting, and he's telling me about the cats and different things, and it was just, um, you know, he's very unique in looks, but he knows so much and he's very pragmatic I think in what he mentions as compared to some others that were mentioned in your book that I like the fact that you said that you just slashed some of them down this doesn't make sense why would you do this no so um, kudos to you for that he really gets them of course he deals with the worst cats I mean all sorts of cats have been abused in various ways and they turn out the way people or dogs do have been abused, and sometimes it's hard to bring them back over. Jackson manages to do it. Of course, he's he's covered with scratches all the time. The things that he does, he ends up with his hands and arms slashed to pieces. But um, he usually succeeds in the end. He's just he's all about the animals, and you know, and he has a dogs as well. But he's the cat daddy, so. Yeah. And he teaches people. I mean, the, the important thing is that by the time he leaves one of his jobs, he's taught the people some of the basics that they clearly haven't known about communicating with the cat. And, um, you know, so I, I feel so sad for so many cats that are just, who's, that are emotionally neglected and end up just being a sort of breathing sofa cushion. And when, in fact, you know, you can have a real companion who kind of gets you. And uh, and if you start to get the cat, then you're going to have a real serious dialogue. I loved the passage in my book where uh, this woman published her studies in 1944. I said that most of the scientific information is new, and most of it is. But this woman's her name is Mildred Molk, M-O-E-L-K. And she published a study of cat language in 1944, having studied her own cats in her own house in a very relaxed situation. And she, you know, came up with remarkably subtle expressions like bewilderment or shy acknowledgement and and various really quite subtle kinds of meows that she was able to tease out the meaning of and various other sorts of experiments people do with cats. You know, they do it in a a white lab room with nothing else and, and you know, a lab assistant sitting in a folding chair with a pad on her lap. And they expect the cat to perform in some way. And the poor cat is just scared to death and naturally won't perform. They say, oh, you know, obviously cats don't respond to this particular type of stimulus. And so they go home and say, well, cats are clearly unable to follow such and such kind of an instruction. And they are unable to vocalize beyond any uh, degree of expression other than fear. Well, that's right. If you put them in a white room and where they've never been before with people they've never seen before, well, that's the kind of results you get. But whereas Mildred Mulk worked with her same cat for 10 years and learned a lot, and it's the kind of thing that we also can learn when 
we create a situation of low stress and trust and affection. I think another thing that people have for many years often thought, particularly people who have been used to dogs that, you know, put their head on your thigh when you're sitting down, they think, that, oh, cats are infectious. You know, they just walk right by you and they don't care about you at all. But it's really not true. Cats can be amazingly affectionate. It just requires some, a certain set of conditions, principally calm and quiet. And you quickly learn that they're capable of a, a great deal of affection. In fact, of course, cats are used in places, in mental hospitals and prisons, you know, these violent felons on death row and so forth. You, you'll see them once the you know, kitty enters the cell, curls up on this tattooed, crazy-looking guy's lap. And you can just see the tension and anger melt out of this man's body because that's what a cat, you know, these cats, of course, have been carefully selected, but they're able to communicate that inner calm to even a person like that. And the other thing is they have different personalities, just like dogs do, just like I think just about all animals, you know, there's... Some of it might be the breed or the mix of the cat, but they have different personalities. Yeah, they do. I mean, my one that's Maine Coon, I thought he was my first. I thought all cats are like that, right? And then I heard that, no, no, all cats are not. And Maine Coons have been called the dog of cats because they're very easy temperament. You can pick him up, cuddle, rub his belly. He's just real easy. And then, mm-hmm. then I had Charlotte and Molly, and I know what they were talking about because they're more, they were rescue cats, and they're more, one's tabby and one's tuxedo, but they're not, they don't have that main coon in them. So they're, they're different personalities, and that's fine. And then yeah. let's talk for a bit. You mentioned a great point in your book. There was a great chapter on TNR cats. And you were talking about the ladies of Italy, of all places, because I guess they have more cats. I mean, do they have more strays per capita than anywhere else? No, they just take better care of them. Uh, Uh, Yes. Particularly in Rome, where cats live in all the old ruins in large numbers. And there are these women called Gattare who have virtually devote their lives to taking care of those cats. And they Unlike many other places where people just feed feral cats and don't give them any medical care or any other kind of particular care, the Roman cats are treated like royalty. And they have been for hundreds and hundreds of years. This one particular place where I went, the Largo de Torre Argentina, where Julius Caesar was killed in whatever it was, 32 BC, AD. I can't remember the date. Anyway, uh, that's where he was assassinated by Brutus. And the cats have been living there ever since then. And um, they're taken beautiful care of. And it's a, it's a lesson that we need to learn here that if we're going to have cat shelters, they need to take better care of the cats and not just sort of throw them into a, a cage, which is often what happens in this country. And we end up with a lot of cats um, euthanized because they're, and they just live lives of misery. And uh, the Romans devote a lot of money and a lot of time to them. Of course, there is a demographic difference there in that Italy, uh, in Italy, far fewer women work outside the home. And so there are a lot more women available to do this kind of volunteer work. And of course, in the United States, most women have jobs. And so finding uh, enough people to do this sort of work for free is not so easy. And of course, we have a, a tremendous explosion population explosion of feral cats, and um, it's a big problem, and nobody's really figured out what to do about it. But uh, I think what 
ultimately, either there will ultimately have to be a lot of euthanasia, which nobody wants to see, or else there's going to have to be a system of real shelters where cats can be isolated and taken care of and get veterinary care and personal care and so forth. And that's expensive. And most municipalities and so forth don't want to spend the money. Nobody wants to see the cats suffer, but nobody wants to pay for the, what's necessary to take care of them. So it's, it's a big problem. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up in your book, and I'm glad we're talking about it. This is near and dear to my heart because when we moved our studio, it came with a mama cat. And I didn't know at the time she's tiny. I thought she was a kitten. And then I discovered she had a kitten. And then we ended up adopting that kitten because she was right in front of the door. She didn't leave the studio. And then... I didn't, had no idea how fast cats get pregnant. And before I went to the Humane Society, yeah. you know, there, there's it's so fast. And you can, a lot of local Humane Societies will give you a ticket or something, but it's weeks in advance. And, but there are a lot of vets you have to look up in your, you know, local area. I know in the U.S., there's, there's always like a local vet or some place that is willing to do TNR, which means they'll, you know, you trap the cat, you bring him to the place, and they'll notch the ear. Generally, I know in my area, $25, and the cat's fixed. And they'll even do some minor medical treatment if they have ear mites or something for a low cost. So I had two litters. That mama had two litters. I adopted two cats, adopted the rest out. No, none of them went to a shelter that was going to euthanize them. The big challenge was capturing baby mama because she is tiny and sneaky. I caught the baby daddy twice, but not the baby mommy. And I had to hire a cat trapper, which... yeah. Yeah. I, they used like a, a drop trap like a roadrunner. And I was just hoping it would work because what people don't realize, and, and you said it well, people don't realize, you know, you feed the cats. Well, guess what? Then they multiply and have more cats and more cats. That's right. And, and That's it, the problem. And trap, neuter, and return is rarely exactly successful because there are always more and more cats that haven't been neutered and the colonies continue to grow. And you know that the uh, mortality rate for feral kittens is over 50%. And the ones that survive, I mean, in the average, you know, age at death of the ones that survive from kittenhood is probably is about two years old. They get run over, they get killed by dogs, they get killed by coyotes. It's not, a, being a feral cat in a feral cat colony is it's not a good life. And people have, I think, uh, often a romantic notion that that you can be a feral cat in a city or a suburb and that, you know, you've been trapped, you've been neutered, you've been returned, and then everything's going to be okay. It's not okay. They're starving often and they live lives in, uh, of fear and violence. And um, it's not a solution. If people really want to take care of feral cats, then they need to create shelters, colonies, you know, where they're enclosed and protected and taken care of. You just turn them loose into the streets. It's like taking a homeless person, give them a shower, say, okay, you're gone. Yeah, true. I mean, conclusion, the baby mommy and baby daddy, the male would probably be okay in the house, but not the female. She just is too, they're not feral, they're more community cats. But because of that, yeah. we are not moving, you know, 
full ownership of the male cat. But we do feed them. We have enough, an area where they'll have, they're secluded if it's raining or cold out, which doesn't really happen mm-hmm. where I live, where we are, but, and they get flea treatment. So we do what we can. They're, and they're both fixed, of course. And they hang out. They're like right with well, us. They're very lucky you know? that you take that kind of good care of them. Because, well, of course, most outdoor cats don't get that. Yeah, most don't. I mean, I wish we could adopt them inside, but if I adopted the male inside, which I think would be easy, the female's by herself. And they're still, even though they're both fixed, they're like, you know, it's like they're married. I mean, I know not really, of course, but it's like they're married. So it's hard to separate yeah. one from the other. But, you know, a lot of people, though, they, you know, they feed, they set out food, they feed, they think it's, you know, feed the cute kitties. And you're right, kittens, by I think it's two or three weeks, they're already roaming and walking around and they get, it's very easy for them to get run over or worse. Uh, One story always comes back to me and actually I do write about it in the book. I just met some uh, young, beautiful young couple. She was the editor of a literary magazine and he was a, he worked in the movie business, very sophisticated people. And a cat had shown up in their garage and they started to feed it. They didn't know what color, what sex it was. They just called it an it, you know, and the cat became more and more dependent on them. They never let in the house, but, you know, it just sort of roamed during the day and they'd feed it and feed it and feed it. And then, and I asked them, well, did you ever think that that cat might've belonged to somebody like down the block? You know, like there's some little girl crying her eyes out because their cat's gone. Did you ever report it to the, you know, to the city? Oh no, gosh, never occurred to us. And, you know, it might not be wild. It might just be lost. Oh, golly, I hadn't thought of that. And then they go on vacation. And I say, well, well, how do you think this cat eats when you go on vacation? They say, oh, well, you know, they're they're probably like, you know, mice around somewhere. Well, of course, the cat had become completely dependent on their handouts. The poor cat had no idea what to do when they went on vacation. And for all I know, may have starved. I mean, this is a lot of people's idea of like being kind to a cat on the street. And then, then they go away. Oh, to hell with it. Yeah, you have to go full out and funny story when Dennis and he actually came into my home is how you know he there was meowing outside one night it was cold opened the door this cat walked in and I thought what and he knew the sound of the refrigerator so it made me think that he lived in a home before because I opened and closed yeah, the refrigerator yeah. it was right there yeah I like the yeah, so that's a good indicator yes and so we took him to the main society to get chipped well I didn't secure the crate well enough and he was nervous so guess what happened? Um, let's just say I had a drive with my head out the window because it was, oh. you know, he was nervous. <laughs> it was my bad. It was, oh, my gosh. And then I thought, what are they going to do with the pain society? I need this crate cleaned out. I just went in and just, I probably was a crazy person. You have to help me. He, you know, he's he messed on himself and this, and please scan him and, you know, and... um and, you know, he's been part of our household for eight years, and I don't know what happened. I don't know if he wasn't chipped. I don't know if someone just left him someplace. He wasn't, you know, matted or draggled or anything like that. He he just looked like someone moved and just left their cat, which I can't wrap my head around. I don't get that. So, so did they take the cat? Pardon? I mean, did the SPCA take the cat? No, uh, I, I we were, adopted. I thought them. you were bringing them a lost cat. Oh, you took we, cat. Yeah, we brought them to um, the main side just to get chipped. Oh, I see. I just see. to I just to make sure that he wasn't chipped. We put up posters or you know signs all over the area. Oh, I see. So yeah, maybe yeah, it's yeah. someone's cat, you know, because he he knew. So we knew he was an outdoor cat, 
and right. and no response. You know, he wasn't chipped, nothing. And I thought, okay, I guess I'm going to have a cat and, and learn about yeah. cats. But it was, um, you know, he's part. So that was your first one. Part Maine Coon. He's the sweetest, easiest cat. He's had. A couple of, you know, nine lives, he's, I think, four have gone through. He's had crystals in his urine, which was a, a several thousand dollar surgery. He had an ear hematoma, so he has a cauliflower ear. He fell off a second story balcony, but unharmed. I don't, he fell, but he was unharmed. And he's just now living the life, you know. He's just very content and happy. And whoever... Left him behind, sure made a big mistake because he's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Well, a microchip is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yes. If you, you, you know that somehow, you know, if, if you, you were to wander off somehow, you, he'd be found. Well, what is your opinion on it? Now, you know Augusta was an outdoor cat in Montana, but was she outdoor cat in um, when you moved to San Francisco? Yeah. And she, yeah, she was. She was okay roaming I mean, we, all over. We lived coming. in a particular circumstance in that, I mean, we lived in a block of townhouses that were contiguous. And so there was no outlet to the street. So she could bounce around in these little tiny backyards, which and they're separated by very tall fences. So you couldn't really see where she went. But And she didn't roam for long because she had hip dysplasia until she couldn't get over the tall fences. But we now have Isabel sitting right here next to me now. And Isabel disappears and uh, it's in the same block. Uh, still. And so she can't get to the street. Because I think, you know, if there were car, if she were vulnerable to being run over by a car, I wouldn't let her out. But she can go out and bop around in these backyards. And I think she's quite safe. I think if you have a safe area, that's great. If you have an area where there's a lot of cars or there's, in, in my area, there's some raccoons and ducks. And we have raccoons, believe it or not, right here in the middle of urban San Francisco. And uh, the one time that Isabel was really hurt, she was attacked by a raccoon. They, there at the base of the tail and it took a year for it to heal. But I was, you know, it's, it's always it's a judgment call. You just decide, are you willing to risk the cat's perfect safety and have, a, you know, the, the excitement of being outside and smells and seeing the trees and, you know, climbing trees and, and looking at birds. Isabel doesn't kill birds. She does bring us rats once in a while, which is kind of fun. And, you know, I just think that, you know, they get to fulfill their nature outdoors and it, depending on where you live, it can be risky. I, mean, I take Isabel to Montana in the summers, and she goes out, and, you know, there are predators all around. Of course, as, as, as you know from the book, Augusta grew up way out in the country in Montana, where we had not only raccoons, but, I mean, and porcupines and things, but we had mountain lions and bears and eagles uh, and, and owls coyotes. and all sorts of things. And, and we just made sure that we would get her in before dusk. And never let her out until it was full daylight. So, and most of the, you know, predation would take place in those crepuscular times of day. And uh, I guess <laughs> she was just lucky. I don't know. Yeah, she sometimes. loved to be outside. She loved to hunt. I don't know. In my well, area, I just, they have a patio that's all to themselves and it's quite large. And there's three of them and two dogs and they have a great time. And I guess they're sacrificing some of the nature. But then again, it gets very hot and uncomfortable. That sounds like a, sounds like a nice Florida. deal if they've got a lot of company and some air to breathe and so forth. I feel, you know, when a cat is confined to a city apartment, you know, in a high rise, let's say, it's very important to supply that cat with some extra stimulation that gives the cat uh, some semblance of what a cat in the wild would have. So that, you know, when you play with the cat, which you should be doing 
every day. You have these uh, sequences uh, with the toy that emulate the pounce and the and the kill and so forth. You know, it's something that's just simple. Often it's just dragging a ribbon across the floor so that the cat can have something resembling predation because they are predators. That's their basic nature. They're killers. And that's probably why my cats all love the stick with something dangling from them so they could pounce on it. Sure. Absolutely. And sometimes they kill lizards. Thank gosh, no rats or, or mice because yeah, that's, yeah. I would not do good with that. I know. It's, but it's always something to see when, you know, when Isabel has a, a mouse or a rat and she's so cruel, you know, and she throws it around and you know, she doesn't let it die quickly. But that's, that's how they are. I'll let you, can't you expect keep the her rats. To, I'll take to the be, lizards. Uh, you, know, you can't expect her to be humane like us. No, of course not. Thomas, it's been so great talking to you. Where can people find your book? You too, Michelle. Well, you can certainly find it on Amazon. And you ought to be able to find it in any local bookstore. I just want to let our audience know the book. I just love how, like you said, there's a lot of scientific information. But you broke it down in such a way that made the book so enjoyable. It's not like you're reading a lot of dry scientific facts. It's interesting. And I have read a lot of books on animals, on cats. And I have to say, it's one of my favorites. There's just such great information and how you tell the story is so interesting. And besides looking at the pages of footnotes in the back, you can tell that you went through such a great deal of investigating to find out all of this information for your books. It's it's great. Thank you, Michelle. I'm blushing. It's just really interesting. And, you know, with, with all I thought I knew about cats, which is is not that much, but doing catitude, talking about it. I thought I knew, and then in reading your book, I, I learned quite a bit. So, everyone, it's The oh, Inner oh, Life oh. of Cats. Thank it's you. It's Thomas McNamee, and it's M-C-N-A-M-E-E, and we'll have the information on Pet Life Radio under this episode. There'll be a little blurb and a picture of the book, and a link. Thomas, do you have a website? Yeah, thomasmcnamee.com. Okay, and a link to your website as well. Great. Thank you so much, Michelle. What a wonderful show. There is so much information in this book, and it's it's just very readable and enjoyable. It's The Inner Life of Cats by Tom McNamee, and you can always find out more about any show. Go to PetLifeRadio.com. Look on the show, uh, Catitude for our show, of course, and go to the episode, and there'll be a blurb about the the show and a link to the website for the guest and also a picture of the book or the person or whatever we're talking about and i'd like to thank my cat crew for teaching me about cats dennis and charlotte and molly thank you and thanks to my producer mark winner for making me and my guests sound great Keep listening. There's so many great, funny, fabulous feline shows coming up. And thanks also to everyone listening and sending me your comments and messages and praise. I appreciate it so much. Michelle at PetLifeRadio.com. Thank you. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.